All the above. Yeah. So, you know, as I'm getting a little bit more established in, in my dental practice, for sure, you know, I want to diversify, right? Like a lot of us do. So I'd like to own my own property. I need the space. We, you know, I have a vision for my dental practice of growing to be really the premier uh, dental practice. I would like to say we maybe already are close to that, but uh, I want our building to reflect that. So right now we're at a strip center. It's gorgeous on the inside. We've done a great job with our remodel there, but we're still in the middle of a strip center. I want a standalone building that stands out to be a, a destination dental practice. This is the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast, the podcast that brings together leaders in healthcare and investment real estate to consider the possibilities in future at the intersection of practicing medicine and healthcare real estate investment returns. Welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. I am your host, Trisha Talbot. As a healthcare real estate advisor to providers and investors, the best solutions occur when the two collaborate together as partners in delivering better patient care. Providers can deliver care to their patients when and where they need it, and investors realize the returns to build and manage facilities. We explore changes in medicine and wellness, the future of healthcare, and using real estate as a strategic and financial tool. Today's interview is with Dr. Nikki Green, a cosmetic dentist and entrepreneur in Fort Worth, Texas. Her practice offers patients the latest technologies to provide smile makeovers quickly and painlessly. In an answer to dental insurance coverage lagging behind the increasing costs of today's dental services, she offers a membership program for her patients to receive the care they need that avoids more painful and expensive services later. A financing option that she finances herself offers patients to pay for services that they want now over time. In addition to these programs, she purchased a property where she can move her practice, offering her the branding to become the premier dental care destination and has long-term investment plans with the property. Join me in welcoming Nikki to the podcast. So Nikki, I'm really excited to have you as a guest on the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. Thanks, Trish. I'm actually really glad to be here, even from my car. (laughs) Well, you're a dentist, an entrepreneur, and you're about to purchase a property where you'll operate your practice out of, so we have a lot to discuss. Yes, absolutely. So Fort Worth Cosmetic and Family Dentistry, it's a very large practice. You have four dentists, six hygienists, and several staff members. So when did you open your private practice, and how did you build it to what it is today? Well, I started my private practice, and I actually purchased it December of 2007, and meaning that my first year in business was the year of the great economic recession of 2008. Um, frankly, I think I was too young and too dumb to even realize what I was doing. <laughs> in hindsight, it's just a good part of my story. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's when I started my private practice here in Fort Worth. So I've been at it since the beginning of 2008. Baptism by fire, huh? Totally. <laughs> so this pandemic, even though I'm sure it's caused you some problems, it probably you're like, you know what, I've already been through one downturn, I can handle another. I mean, honestly, <laughs> that is so true. I mean, you know, when it hit, I mean, it was even though it's unprecedented, and we didn't know what to expect. I thought, yeah, I've been through murky waters before, we'll, we'll figure it out. And I'm certainly in a lot better position to go through it today than I was in 2008. So <laughs> we were figuring it out. Well, you yourself, you're focused on cosmetic dentistry and the latest techniques and technologies surrounding that. So what innovations are you using in your practice right now that have the most impact and results? 
Yeah, we are very much a technology-driven practice. Um, I've always said from the beginning of my practice years, I want to be on the cutting edge, not the bleeding edge. You know, sometimes when you step out with technology, particularly around healthcare and some of the intricate things that we do, sometimes you can be on the bleeding edge, which means, you know, you're trying things that don't work. And unfortunately, your patients are your guinea pigs and, you know, patients don't like that. So uh, we try to be on the leading edge, but not necessarily the bleeding edge. So when I say that, we do. Um, we use CEREC technology. I actually was a very early adopter of CEREC technology. I've used it in my hands since about 2004, which is considered a pretty early adopter. CEREC technology is where we mill crowns and veneers in-house. So, you know, people know the traditional way you go to the dentist and have a crown or a veneer done. You go and you have the tooth prepped and then you get into a temporary and you spend a few weeks in the temporary while the restoration is being fabricated at a lab somewhere else. And then it comes back via the mail and then gets inserted into your mouth. So that's the typical way that it's done. And I'm not going to pretend like we don't do some of that too. We do. There are times when we need to utilize our labs, but for the bread and butter dentistry, you know, you need a crown on a posterior tooth or tooth breaks and uh, you need a quick fix. Um, We have CEREC technology in our office that we can do that. We use um, 3D comb beam, which allows us to place implants in-house and know exactly, you know, where in the bone that implant is going to go. We can even combine that with our CEREC technology where we can design the crown before the implant ever goes into the mouth. So that's kind of cool. It speeds things up, makes things more predictable. Patients love the technology, you know, Um, so many dental offices are kind of stuck in about the 1970s, you know, and so they are expecting a a hand cranked um, (laughs) dental chair. There's still those out there. And so when a patient comes in, particularly a new patient, they see all of our bells and whistles and all of our technology and they see what we can do digitally on the screen. Um, They love that. Um, It really gets them involved in their care. So um, we, we like to stay on that cutting edge. Well, who doesn't like to see what, you know, before and after before you actually go in and do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which we I didn't even touch on that. I mean, there's there's so much technology that frankly, I take for granted. But yeah, we, we can do digital mock ups, you know, someone comes in wanting a smile design, which is a lot of what I do in the office, you know, we can digitally mock that up um, and show them, you know, right there instantaneously what their new smile might look like, you know, much like if you went and, you know, tried on a new hair color or something, we can do that with a new smile. So that's some of the technology that we incorporate. I'm I'm getting into virtual consults right now, which is kind of fun, where I have a meeting somewhat like this. Um, You know, 10 years ago, no one would have ever imagined that you could talk to somebody about the possibilities with their smile and with their teeth virtually. But with with iPhone cameras and the detail at which they can take photos, um, I can do that today. So we like to stay on that cutting edge. That's great. Yeah. Well, in these interviews, I like to talk about something unique you do with your patients or, you know, that you have to offer and you know, you talked about speeding up the process, which, you know, who wants to go around with a bad looking tooth for longer than they have to, you know, obviously, some people are, are nervous to go to the dentist, they think it's going to be painful. And, um, but then, you know, there's the cost issue, which a lot of people don't, they, def- I would say they defer something until, you know, it's an infection or something, you know, serious that they need to address because of cost. So you offer a dental membership program, as well as you, you have a ton of education 
uh, for helping patients navigate costs and financing their dental care. I really like your educational videos that you offer. I find that to be, I actually have never seen it before, but why did you start developing the, the membership program for financing? And then, you know, what motivated you to put those educational videos on your website for patients to have when they're at home? Yeah. I mean, first I'll, I'll get to the membership in a minute, but um, first I'll just talk about the cost issue. I mean, it is the elephant in the room so many times when it comes to dentistry. The truth is, you know, dental insurance stinks. It has stunk, you know, for years. It, it was developed in the mid sixties and in the mid sixties, the average um, yearly maximum was a thousand dollars. We are now in 2020 and the average yearly maximum is $1,500. So we haven't moved the needle up, you know, whereas in the mid sixties, a crown cost $90. Now a crown costs $1,200. So we have not moved the needle up at all when it comes to dental insurance. Um, so we have to address the elephant in the room, you know, that dentistry does cost. Um, in my opinion, it's a, it's a value, it's a value for sure. You know, we like to be able to smile. We like to be able to eat. We like to be able to chew. We like to be able to do all that without pain, without difficulty. So in my opinion, the value is there, but we still have to find ways to make that affordable for our patients. Um, and for all of our patients, you know, my, my practice is not just a, a white collar, top of the line, high end practice. We do high end dentistry, but I want to be able to serve. You know, my last patient that I just worked on was a local cop. I want to be able to serve my local cops. I want to be able to serve my local teachers. You know, I want to be able to serve anybody that values their mouth. So we have to address costs. So that's been a big part of our practice for years is creating financial arrangements that work for patients. So we have some really, you know, we have some that are just kind of your standard run of the mill. We've got care credit, things like that, that patients are, are familiar with. We also have a really interesting um, way patients can pay for their dentistry called compassionate finance. I'll talk a little bit about it because I know some of your people that are listening are healthcare providers. Um, it's actually where I'm the bank. So I am actually the one financing the care. For years, we were taught not to do that, right? <laughs> we were taught, don't be the bank. Well, the reality is sometimes patients need help and they can't find the outside financing and such. So um, it's something where there is a 20% down payment required, but then they can finance their dental care over a period of months or a period of years. There is an interest rate attached to it. Um, I don't manage that. I'm, that's managed through an outside company, which obviously I pay a percentage of. Um, but that's been a huge, that, talk about during an economic downturn. Things like that are huge um, because that's a way for patients to be able to afford, you know, ideal care. And back to COVID, that that served me for two months when I was shut down. I had patients who had financed their dental care over the last five years, and I was still getting paid for those two months, whereas many of my dental colleagues weren't because their practices were shut down and were typically always a cash flow type of business, you know, immediate cash flow type of business. Whereas that was something where I had some pent up accounts receivable um, that patients were still making their monthly payments. So that was really an interesting way that we allow patients to pay for their dental care. And it was really interesting during COVID because I was actually able to keep some revenue coming into the practice. So that's, that's something that we offer as far as uh, patients paying. But back to, your, to the question about the membership plan, that's actually relatively new to us. We've only had a membership plan going for about two years. We are a type of dental practice where we're not an insurance model. So we're not a PPO or a DMO model. We do take dental insurance. We're very, we consider ourselves very insurance friendly. 
but we're not contracted providers for anyone. So that really does mean that we're competing for our patients' expendable dollars. So the membership plan is really geared more towards our non-insurance patients. So we, they basically buy a yearly membership. With that yearly membership, they get two cleanings, their routine exams, their routine x-rays. They get a percentage off of any dental treatment that they need. You know, they get a few goodies like a Sonicare toothbrush and some fun stuff like that. Um, but then they're, they're in the membership plan. You know, I would say that with that, they also don't wait for appointments and things, but none of our patients wait for appointments. (laughs) That's one of the nice things about having a big practice with four doctors and multiple hygienists is, you know, you're not calling and we're telling you it's going to be six weeks before your doctor can see you. You know, we don't, we don't do any of that, but certainly our insiders, which is what we call our people on our membership plan, you know, we make sure that we get them in. We make sure that we take good care of them because that's part of our commitment to them and their commitment to us by pre-purchasing that insider plan. So there's a couple different tiers of those. Obviously, there's some people who need a little extra care throughout a year, someone who deals with periodontal disease or something along those lines who might need four cleanings a year. Then they purchase the, you know, higher grade plan that allows them to get their four cleanings a year and a little extra care. But that's how our membership plan works. Um, It's been a huge hit for our retired population, particularly the population who's just now losing their dental insurance. You know, that's kind of a big fear for people when they get to that retirement age and they're about to lose their dental insurance. They're so nervous about the cost of dental care. So when you can provide them something like a membership plan that they can pay one time, they know they're getting their cleanings covered, Um, They know they're going to get a percentage off when it comes time to have to do some type of dental care. It just kind of eases, eases their mind a little bit. So yeah, our membership plan has definitely been a a great service. A great product that fills a a need in the market. I mean, it's, um, and, and then, then I think it also, you know, for that uh, older population as well, that's when they kind of need even more dental care. You know, their, their teeth are aging, um, you know, and if something happens, they don't heal as quickly and they, they really need to get everything addressed. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I definitely have learned that in my practice. When I purchased this practice, my average patient age was actually 72. So I really learned how to care for the, you know, that, that aged population. And they do, they, they, many of them, you know, they spent their entire working years spending the money that they need to spend on their teeth, doing what they need to do to save their teeth. And they need a little reassurance as they go into their retirement years that they're still going to be able to do that. So we definitely try to fill that niche. And for the rest of your patient base, do you feel that the education you provide in these um, different programs and well, you know, the, the financing, especially, you know, do, do you see them not deferring their dental care and, you know, potentially causing more costs? Yeah. Um, you know, dental care that costs more for them yeah, later for sure. on. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and especially, you know, if there's any, you know, dental um, colleagues listening, you know, that they'll understand this pain. The pain of dentistry is that, as we talked about, the insurance benefits, you know, we typically, we typically number a treatment plan, you know, you have 28 to 32 teeth in your mouth, depending on if you have, you know, wisdom teeth in your mouth. And the way our numbering system and the way our treatment planning system works is we basically start with tooth number one and work our way around to tooth number 32, you know, and there's a joke in dentistry that when you present a comprehensive treatment plan to a patient, and then they start looking at insurance benefits, 
basically every patient, you know, they run out of insurance benefits at, at, at about tooth number four, right? Because the insurance <laughs> is gone at about tooth number four. So there's kind of this joke in dentistry that, you know, if everybody, you know, did treatment according to the insurance model, their upper right quadrants of their mouth would be perfectly healthy, but then nothing else would <laughs> be because it falls outside of insurance benefits. So when you offer outside financing or you offer in-house financing, you, you offer multiple financial options, it allows patients to get ideal comprehensive care. Yes, we're going to use their insurance. Yes, we're going to get every dime we can, but then we offer them a way to pay their portion and not defer their care. So yeah, that's kind of a running joke because everybody's upper right quadrant, according to insurance, should be in top notch shape. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, what you say that, um, you know, the dental insurance has not caught up with the cost. And I think, you know, because technology costs and as in, you know, people don't like to go to dentists typically that don't have the current technologies, because again, the speed to their care and the pain of their care is, you know, affected. So uh, where do you see even technologies and treatments even going further and evolving in the next three to five years? Yeah, I mean, definitely digital. The, The need for outside, I mean, Outside labs are not going away. I, I never want people to think that, you know, the digital technology is going to ruin an industry because it's not. We're always going to have a need for people who have, that's a whole nother skill set outside of dentistry is the people who actually make the teeth, right? Dentists really don't do that that well. Uh, those are the lab technicians. They're the artists of our industry. You know, they're not going anywhere. But what I do see, and this is a vision I have for my own practice, is getting to a point where you bring some of those artists into your dental practice, right? So patients with the digital technology, they're getting used to these same day crowns. They're getting used to a same day smile makeover. So that's where I see my practice going. And I see many future practices going as we hire one or two of those artists to come in and work with us. And, you know, a patient could come in at 8 a.m. and they leave by 1 p.m. with a new brand new permanent smile, right? So now, some of that stuff is still is already happening. You know, I have to say I'm not on the bleeding edge of that, but that's the vision I have for my practice is that one day um, someone can come in at 8 a.m. and they have a brand new permanent smile by 1 p.m. So that's that's the goal. Well, and I caught you for this interview as you're about to purchase a, a new property for your practice. I actually have, have the property purchased. It's a very expensive storage building right now. I'm getting ready to do the remodel. <laughs> nice. So you, okay, so you even went into the adaptive reuse area. So you had to go and, um, you know, go to the city, you had to probably rezone it and everything like that. Where your current practice is, which is on the west side of Fort Worth, right off Interstate 30, is the location of your, where is the location of your new office? And how is it? How does that location offer you the opportunity to better access your patients? Sure. Um, It's less than a mile away. I'm sitting here trying to figure up in my head how far it is. It's, It's probably about a mile. It's still, the way you just described it, it's very, still very similar. It's right on the west side of Fort Worth. It's a little further off of I-30, so maybe not as much um, drive-by I-30 traffic. But we're, we're a little more of a destination practice at this point. We've definitely built our reputation. Um, I don't really feel as, as much as I need the drive-by um, visibility as much as I used to. But it's still on a major thoroughfare. So it's on a street called Bryant Irvin that basically connects I-30 to I-20, you know, as they go through Fort Worth, go through the west side of Fort Worth. And it's right next to a new development in Fort Worth called Clear Fork, which is just a 
new high-end shopping restaurant development here in, on the west side of Fort Worth. So it's prime location. That's why I bought it probably a little early because as soon as it went on the market and I knew the size and I knew the size of the parking lot, that's always important. But as soon as it went on the market, I said, okay, I've got to have it, even though I was four years out from being at the end of my lease. <laughs> So I'll probably jump the gun a bit. So did you did you buy it for an investment or in space or both? All the above. Yeah. So, you know, as a as a as I'm getting a little bit more established in in my dental practice for sure. Um, you know, I want to diversify, right? Like a lot of us do. So um, I'd like to own my own property. I need the space. We, you know, I have a vision for my dental practice of growing to be really the premier uh, dental practice. I would like to say we maybe already are close to that, but uh, I want our building to reflect that. So right now we're in a strip center. It's gorgeous on the inside. We've done a great job with our remodel there, but we're still in the middle of a strip center. I want a standalone building that stands out to be a, a destination dental practice. So primarily it's probably for that, but secondarily it's for my own investment. So sure, I'll be my own renter. You know, dentists are great tenants <laughs> for all of the real estate people out there. We don't go anywhere because we're, it's very expensive for us to put our, yeah, there's yeah. lots of plumbing. There's lots of things to be done to put in a dental office. So we don't want to leave, you know, um, we're usually looking for 10 plus year leases because we don't want yeah. to do this again in a few years. So I'm going to be a great tenant for myself. <laughs> and then that's, when, the best kind. that's right. And then when I'm done doing the dentistry, then the future dentist that wants to go into that prime spot is going to also be a great tenant for me. So, yes, that's great. I love that planning. Before we head into the Q&A session of this interview, I want to take a moment to promote an offer. If you are a provider and you own your own real estate and ever wondered what your options are, I invite you to schedule a 20-minute strategy session with me to discuss the benefits of a sale leaseback transaction. If you have 10 years or more left to practice or you are a large practice, a sale leaseback provides you with the proceeds now to exit the real estate and reinvest into your practice or invest elsewhere. Please go to docproperties.com forward slash free dash consultation dash Trisha dash Talbot to schedule a call. The link will be in the show notes as well if you're driving or unable to write it down. Thank you. And now we'll return back to the interview. So this is the part of the interview where we get to know you a little bit. So what would you be doing for a living if you were not a dental provider? Oh, that's funny. I actually know what I would be doing. I would be a designer and I would probably at this point, because I've got the dental background, it's actually what I say I want to do in my retirement. I say I want to be a dental office um, designer. So <laughs> I love that aspect. That's one of the reasons why I'm my own worst enemy in some ways is that I, I stay in a space about 10 years and then I'm done. I'm ready to move on to the next space, which gets a little costly, but um, I love it. I love designing dental spaces. Um, I, you know, I love to make them modern and clean and crisp and, um, you know, make them flow, make them function at a really high level. Um, you know, we spend so many hours of our day there, um, that I want to love it. So that's, that's not only what I would be doing if I wasn't a dentist, but I think that's what I'm going to do in my retirement. If I ever retire, I'm not really, I really have no plans of retiring, but let's, a girl can dream. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can, it it doesn't have to be either, or you can, you can slow down at your own pace. What or who are you reading or listening to right now for news, information, or inspiration? Oh, my. Well, um, I think you and I know each other through Strategic Coach is how we got introduced. So Dan Sullivan is a favorite for sure. Anything that Strategic Coach puts out, whether it's Shannon Waller or Dan, um, Michael Hyatt is a, I'm a big fan of Michael Hyatt. I love to listen to his stuff. 
Um, what am I reading currently? I, you know, I've got about five books on my nightstand. Um, I actually, we're, we're starting EOS in our business. So we're about a year into the EOS process. So I'm reading a lot of Gino Wickman right now and some of that kind of stuff just to kind of familiarize ourselves with EOS a little bit more. And then I'm also a spiritual person. So I always have some um, spiritual book going on at the same time. So it's, it's usually a combination of those things. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to have a variety. Yeah. What is one thing you do every day for healthy self-care? Well, I love to run. So I'm a runner. So nearly, and I actually have to say that I'm, I'm on a hiatus right now. I had a, a small surgery, nothing major, about six weeks ago that has kept me off of my running legs, which has got me a little stir crazy. But normally I'm out on the trails here in Fort Worth at least four days a week. I'm good about my morning routines and uh, taking my multivitamins and having a little quiet time in the morning. And I usually incorporate my exercise at that time. I'll get back to it in a couple of weeks. So that's kind of myself. That's my self-care. The face, facials and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't have much time for that, but <laughs> maybe one of these days. Yeah. Were you, are you able to get out and walk a little bit? I, I, ha I was just released. It was crazy. He had me not even doing that for six weeks. So um, I realized this week how bad a shape I'm in because I went Sunday and walked with girlfriends for four miles and I was sore for three days. So I've got to get back into my running shape, but the weather's perfect right now for that. So it's in the forties and fifties here right now. So that's perfect running weather. So as soon as he releases me in another week or so, I'm going to be back on the trails. Oh, good for you. Good for you. So do you think a person is born with the desire to heal or is this learned only through training? You said heal, to heal or to lead? Heal. Heal. Oh, that's an interesting question. I'm going to think about that one a minute because I thought we were going to say lead. And I well, you can do lead. No, no, you no, can no, do no. lead. I like the heal. I like the heal. I, that, that's, ooh, that's a deep question. I... I definitely think it is something that can, you can hone. I, I'm going to be honest about that. So I, and I'll just give my own personal experience. So I was raised in a home where health was, we didn't really focus much on it. We generally just genetically were pretty healthy people. So we didn't focus a lot on eating right or exercise or any of that kind of stuff. Because of that family history, we've been afflicted with, um, you know, heart issues at early ages and, you know, honestly, the mortality at early ages. When I first went to strategic coach and we did the life extender, I thought, well, I'm not going to live past 80 because no one in my family lives past 80. Right. But, you know, I have learned that I am in I'm in more more in control of my own body than maybe I ever gave myself credit for um, growing up even, you know, and so I, I kind of. I think that one can be learned because I have definitely learned over the last 10 or 15 years how to take care of myself, how to take control of my own health issues or whatever it may be going on, take care of my own healing. Um, you know, I actually have had a couple of major surgeries in the last five years and, you know, just nutrition and healthy habits is what allowed me to heal really uh, quickly from those things. So, so that's actually one I, I think, I think it can be learned. I know that was a long answer because that really got me in a deep spot right there. I like that question. Well, and you you ha you touched on the leadership one, and sometimes I ask both for people like you that you're a healthcare provider and you know and a um, a leader. So do you think do you think someone is born to lead, or do you think they that it is learned? That's another good one. I definitely think there are born leaders, right? You you can see them when they're three years old, right? They're the <laughs> 
<laughs> they're, you know, you can just tell at three years old, they're going to be a leader, right? So I definitely think there are, there are leaders that are born. I, I mentioned that we're doing EOS in our business right now. And, you know, other healthcare people maybe that are on the call probably can, can appreciate this. A lot of people who go into healthcare never think about ever them ever being in a leadership position. Maybe the doctor does, maybe the owner does, but you know, a person that wants a dental assistant job or someone who wants to be a nurse, you know, in a on the floor of a hospital or something, never really thinks of themselves as going into a leadership role. And so we're developing our leadership team right now with a lot of people who probably never even considered being in a leadership role. And I think we can grow them. I do. I really think if, if I do my part of putting the energy and use my strategic coach tools and use the EOS tools and put the energy and effort and training into it, I do believe that they can be, they can be cultivated, let's say. Yeah, inspired. And I think people think that only the people at the top can lead and, and, and that's, you know, I, I think that's a huge, um, how whatever and whenever that, that kind of message was sent because, you know, if you're where, wh- whatever position you're at in an organization, you know, you're, you can lead yourself, you know, your behaviors, you can lead other people on your team, you can lead by example and the way you do things, just the tone. Um, it's interesting, you know, before you and I, you know, sometimes, um, like the nurses wouldn't want to like call a doctor or something from the hospital. And when, if they did like the doctor, depending, you know, some, some doctors were welcomed that, but then some didn't. And depending on the tone of the doctor who was at the top, you know, it's kind of set the tone throughout. And I think that, um, so when you're saying that some doctors don't think that they're leaders, I think that they absolutely are, you know, whenever you're in a position where you are an example to other people and you set the tone for an environment, I think you're a leader. Sure. Absolutely. And, you know, leaders can lead the wrong direction, right? I mean, I've, I've had that experience. I've probably done that. Let's just be really honest. But yeah, you know, you can be a leader and you can be leading the wrong direction. So just like you were just saying, just the tone that you set and how approachable you may be, you, you definitely, um, you're, you're leading (laughs) which direction you're going. (laughs) Absolutely. And leading people in the right direction for sure. Well, Nikki, thank you for your time. Um, and I thank you for, uh, for this interview. It was, it was wonderful. Well, thank you very much. I, I hope I offered your listeners a little bit of value. Um, and a little peek into the dental industry. It's a great industry. It's fun. It's ever changing. And I I love being a part of it. They all are. (laughs) I'm sure. Isn't that true? (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode of the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcast and share the podcast with others. Previous episodes are available on the podcast website, providerspropertiesandperformance.com, where you can also sign up for the podcast weekly newsletter. As a disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and not intended for specific real estate investment advice.